0: Hey, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast where I have the pleasure today to speak with Michael Chavez who is the chief executive officer for Duke Corporate Education, which is part of Duke University. Michael joined Duke in 2006 and held various leadership roles becoming the CEO before becoming the CEO in 2016. Before joining Duke, Michael spent over five years as the founding member of the executive team of a successful startup. He was the director and senior learning consultant at the Coca-Cola Company, where he worked closely with senior executives in LATAM and Europe to improve executive team effectiveness, develop leadership, and organizational capability. Michael's research currently focuses on how leaders can most effectively shape, institutionalize, and lead from a shared organizational purpose. What I love most is the tagline for Duke's corporate education is, leadership for what's next. Welcome, Michael. Thanks so much, Tiffany, for having me. It's great to be here. I I love that tagline. I was like, I I almost couldn't have written that myself, like leadership for what's next. I mean, that's just
1: yeah, Perfect. we were we were delighted, you know, to to realize we were using the same words. so it's it's fantastic. Um, it It actually came from us really uh, going on our own exploration of purpose a few years ago as an executive team before I took the job of CEO. And we realized that, There were some things going on in the marketplace that led us to believe that leadership for what's next is really what's critical and that is that this idea that leadership is becoming more important than it ever was for a lot of reasons which we can talk about and and actually their leaders getting ready for a world that's unknown is more what education is about these days rather than simply preparing people for Knowledge trans, you know, doing knowledge transfer for things that they that that they already should know. So there's sort of two things going on there that we think it's important to embrace in leadership development.
0: Excellent. Well, th- well, thanks for that. I just, you know, I I, I think uh, taglines. It's interesting how much that what's next is getting used now. So it's it's always great to to find others who who feel as passionate about that as I do. So before we dive in, yeah. uh, I love starting this with something I call bullish and bearish. Uh, it's right. a way for me to sort of loosen up the guest and sort of have some fun with it. So hopefully not too painful. We'll start off with a, you know two sort of more serious ones and then one okay. that's a little bit more fun. Ready?
1: Got it. Yeah. Go. All
0: right. So the first one is purpose trumps strategy every time.
1: Bullish. Oh, you hesitated. Um, so I'm guessing yeah. there's a gray line there. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's the way you phrase the question. Um, I did it, it on purpose. <laughs> I know. I figured you did. Yeah. So, uh, look, I think, you know, one of our, one of our colleagues, a, a very good colleague of mine whom I used to teach strategy with, um, uh, Don Hambrick at Penn State said, you know, he's a strategy researcher. And he said, you know, strategy is really important, but it's not the most important thing. And this is a strategy researcher telling me this. Uh, So I think that's generally true. However, my caveat, so I would say bullish, full in, all in, committed. But I would say that doesn't necessarily let you off the hook of making sure you have a good strategy.
0: Fair enough. I I love how my guests work their way around the gray line. (laughs) (laughs) And for any of my regular listeners, they know that I rarely get just a clean, yep, bullish or bearish. But all right. So the next one. Once again, might be a leading one too, but corporate hierarchies are dead.
1: Um, I would say bearish.
0: Okay, um,
1: I actually think that corporate hier- hierarchies uh, are fundamentally changing, uh, but they're not dead. They are definitely changing. They're going away in a lot in in the traditional way we thought of them, but in fact, um, a lot of things around cor- corporations are requiring that there still be some form of kind of thinking about sp- you know, areas of specialization and control. But the problem is we also have to think about agility as part of that. So they're going away, they're becoming less important, but they're not going away. So they're not going away, but they're they're sort of changing and becoming something else is what we see.
0: All right. <clears throat> Another good gray answer. All right. <laughs> okay. The third one, let's try and nail this one right. Bullish or bearish. Ready? This is the fun one. Got it. Go. So the first human on Mars will be a woman. Bullish. <laughs> you had to walk into that one as bullish, right? Yeah, I, mean, I had I to. Could, I couldn't let I, you I, out of that
1: one. No, I. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've had the great opportunity to talk to um, a couple of the people who are who are on the short list for the um, first trip to Mars. Um, that's a one way trip, by the way. And um, my answer is probably skewed by the fact that I was just blown away by uh, one of the potential astronauts, Adriana Murray from South Africa, who is this amazing physicist and has this incredible view of kind of a larger than life purpose that goes well beyond, you know, the way most of us think about it. She's thinking about it beyond her life and be even beyond the existence on this planet. And so I was just, you know, I think that she's going to make it. And I think she'll be on the, f- the first one out the door when they land.
0: Oh, that's excellent, and and I want to dig into her in a little bit. So, uh, into that whole uh, sort of the lessons that you got out of that conversation, because I think they're just fascinating, especially uh, along the conversation around purpose. But Great. before we dive into that, you know, i, I I've had uh I've had uh, Roger Martin on um, my podcast, as well as a number of other academics, and we've had these long debates between the difference between strategy and yep. execution and yeah. you know and how that's changing so you know in full fairness with another academic who has some opinions around that yeah. topic right i would love to get your definition um uh, around what you think the difference or not is between the terms sort of strategy and execution
1: it's it's really interesting you you asked that question tiffany because i started life as a strategy consultant so right out of business school um the reason I got into learning and development, which happened when I was at the Coca-Cola company, was because essentially I found out that the most interesting conversations were happening after I left the room. And the same was sort of true in strategy consulting. What, it, what that means is it came down to essentially this idea that in order to execute these strategies, to make them real, uh, you actually had to go through this process of engaging leadership and engaging the organization in some fashion. So to me, leadership and execution became very closely intertwined. So, um, one of my clients actually just last week said, um, senior executive from this major financial services company said, you know, strategy without execution is just a hallucination. Now, I'm a big believer that a, you need to still have a really good strategy, but you have to think about execution as part of that process of thinking about strategy. Otherwise, the whole thing sort of falls apart. So, I'm less in the camp of trying to delineate the difference between strategy and execution and I'm more in the camp of trying to think about how they're part of the same thing. And that that frame is the one that brings me and all of my colleagues to this idea of leadership and why it's so critical.
0: Yeah, and I think you would you would agree that strategy without leadership, you know, to to sort of quote some things you've said in the past, is just an idea that never comes to fruition.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, it's it, it it's it's I mean, it's you know, it's helpful, but it's not it's not enough. Um, the former um, head of Warner Music, uh, Edgar Bronfman, once said at a conference I was at, I think this was like in two thousand and four, two thousand five, in New York. He said, "If there's a dollar to be made." good is worth about a nickel. He went on to say, look, it's an important nickel. It's the first nickel, but <laughs> it's about that much. And and I it, it sort of stuck with me and I'm not sure if the numbers are right, but I do think that there's something to be said about making sure that we're thinking about those as an integrated whole.
0: Yeah. And I think now, especially with this level of transparency, um, and ideas coming from all over the organization, this sort of intrapreneurship, right? That it's bubbling either from the uh, customer-facing side mm-hmm. of it, maybe yep. a sales or person or a customer service person or a delivery person, whomever it might be. Yeah, that the, closing that gap of okay, this is our strategy. But I have to lead the company. Sometimes it's 10 people, 100, 1,000 could be, you know, 10,000 people. I have to lead everybody sort of to to, to where we're trying to go. And so without strong leadership, I think people feel kind of rudderless, right? There's no
1: direction. Yeah, because strategy, you know, requires an awful lot of context. And it's different for every part of the organization, how it gets interpreted. So there's no such thing as sort of this kind of root command of strategy that then just gets sent to everyone and everyone kind of aligns, right? There's this, there's this idea that in the middle of the organization, managers have to add value to the strategy by translating it, and translating it doesn't just mean using different words; it means putting it in their context for their part of the business, whether it's a function or a business unit. And that that's actually work. That takes a lot of work, and it it, it I think that's what why when i talk to c suite executives of major fortune 500 companies i always ask them sort of what you know what's really important to you in terms of your leadership what i routinely hear back is i need the middle of the organization and up especially to really be much more engaged in strategy it started off i don't know 10 years ago I, I heard the words, well, they just need to be more strategic. But when I really pushed on them, I don't think it was that. It was more that I need them involved in the strategy. I need them involved in working out all of this contextualization. I even need them involved in giving us at the C-suite feedback so we know what's really happening on the ground. Because what, you, what you're executing on the ground is informing the strategy. And that, that dynamic between strategy and execution, that loop is getting tighter and tighter as strategies have to be more and more agile. So that means the middle of the organization is so much more critical than ever before.
0: I totally agree. I was just going to say, you know, I had Tom Peters on as well, and he's like, look, you know, if a general gets, you know, to use war as an analogy, if a general gets, you know, something happens and they're no longer there, and it's it's sort of this sergeant, right? It's this sort of, you know, this person in the middle that's making everything sort of happen. And so what do you think leaders need to look out for, you know, especially as the pace of change is accelerating? I mean, a lot of this... Uh, the people that I have uh, the opportunity to speak to on this podcast. Um, It's about this rapid pace of change, right? And so a lot of it is kind of strategy execution, but leadership, especially at that middle layer, like let's not talk about the C-suite, right? Let's not talk about the individual contributor, but at that middle layer, what do you think those... You know, people who are listening to this who might be a manager or aspiring to be a manager. You know what that looks like.
1: Yeah, uh, based on the things you've just said. It's a great question. You know, we've we've really dug into this because we've we've learned that over our 18 years of existence, um, you know, a lot of people think of us as as uh, primarily as deliverers of of leadership education for sort of top. Level leaders, and that's that's definitely a big part of our business. As it turns out, a a plurality of our business is actually focused on this level, this mid-level leader. And in fact, it's it's so important and it's so critical now that we've actually started to think of them as center leaders, meaning they're at the center of the organization. See, in the in the old days when we had sort of a more industrial revolution model of organization, we thought of mid-level leaders as these sort of relay switches. Who just kind of passed things off down the line into their part of the organization. And maybe they fed back up some stuff, right? That there was this, but it was kind of a relay switch model that we had in our heads. What's happened over the last 20 years is that model has been completely upended by a replacement idea, which is that leaders are actually in the middle of an awful lot of dilemmas and tensions that they're trying to resolve as the world keeps moving. So they're at the center of this agility function that we talked about. They're not just translating strategy down, but they're translating it up. They're informing the organization upwards, as I mentioned. In the midst of organizational change, it used to be that they just sort of told you what part of the change was belong to their part of the organization, to their people. Now what they're doing is they're having to be part of the engagement strategy of people around change, and they're having to reshape the change strategy, and then kind of going back down to the people and testing it, and then getting them involved. So it's this it's this constant back and forth, up and down kind of um, tension that they're living in, and they're at the middle of that tension. We, we know that that is tough, um, and it's a It often feels like it's very unrooted in the way that they're navigating it. Leaders who are successful in this are exceptionally good at learning on the fly. So a lot of what we're trying to do is to get people to learn how to learn, not just to learn stuff. If you get my meaning, they have to be agile in order to kind of live in this world. And that means that these higher order skills of, you know, things purpose is part of that, you know, you know, understanding what the big frame is, what's the big why behind this asking big questions, but also being able to sort of recognize that I have biases when I'm observing what's going on in the world and that I may need to test those and filter the information differently. So these, these skills have become a lot more expansive and a lot less, um, based on sort of linear analytic skills, and they become much more about integrated, sort of self-regulated learning skills, to quote my colleague Vivian Ming on the West Coast, who talks about self-regulated learning. I think this is a really important part that holds all this together. Another piece that's really critical to them is, is, is having the social skills to navigate this territory with other people, because they're doing it together with, other, with others. And then, you know, also creative skills being able to imagine different possibilities and reframe things and combine things that normally aren't combined, which is where, as you know, a lot of innovation comes from. So all of a sudden, what we've seen shift in, it feels like all of a sudden, it's really been probably the last 20 years, but it's really all of a sudden, it feels that we've shifted to this world where um, mid-level leaders, that is leaders at the center of the organization, are literally and figuratively at the center of the organization. They're at the center of everything that's going on, and they're having to pivot back and forth quite a bit.
0: So you said a lot right there, and there's one thing I'd love to double-click into, um, which all of which I found fascinating, and I'm a huge fan of Dr. Ming. She does a lot of work with us here, actually, at Salesforce. Um, uh around biases and bias in data and all kinds of things so yeah. super super fascinating right. but but i would say that um one thing you said in there is is these kind of center managers are uh, to me they're almost the storytellers of what the purpose is and so i want to really double click into this uh conversation we had during mm-hmm. bullish and bearish around kind of purpose trump strategy and you were very clear clear on that but purpose is kind of almost the new profit right it's driving people to feel like they're part of something larger than themselves, and that really galvanizes and motivates people to bring their best self every day. Not that people don't want to do that, I'm talking about actually making that happen.
1: Yes, yes. Um, So, right, so purpose is incredibly important in galvanizing people because it is touching on a much higher order um, way of thinking. It's actually tapping into that need that we have to understand why we're doing what we're doing, to to give it meaning um, to give it contextualization. One of the things we know, you know, and, 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 um, this has been written about an awful lot lately. Um, Rosabeth Moscantor writes about this quite a bit. The idea that leaders are essentially makers of meaning, because if we can make meaning, what we're getting is we're getting people engaged in something bigger than themselves. And by doing so, we're getting discretionary effort. We're getting meaning and we're getting self-actualization in the in the workplace. It's also something that's inherently a lot more stable than things like initiatives or strategies, which are having to change an awful lot. But you can anchor on purpose and it can stay relatively enduring and stable for long periods of time. And it's also very clarifying for people. So it's this kind of anchoring effect and this meaning effect that it has, that I think has always been there, but we're now realizing plays a larger part in counteracting some of the volatility and complexity that we're having to grapple with in modern organizations.
0: And so how do you, how would you reckon, so, you know, within the sort of this, within Duke, within the kind of corporate education side of it, you know, when you're working with, with managers, you know, or quote unquote leaders, because I think there's a big difference between just because you have a title of, you know, a leadership position doesn't mean you're a great leader. I mean, for all kinds of reasons, but right. let's, let's just say, uh, you know, within the uh, uh, Duke sort of family, right? of people who are coming and saying, look, I want to be better as a leader, what are the one or two or three things when they're not naturally wired to this whole makers of meaning, right? Because I think that that's a very different calling right. than I like leading people is very different than I, I yep. want to lead, a you know, a meaningful journey for my employees for my customers for my shareholders for everybody
1: right yeah well you know one of the things we actually try to do or at least I try to do you know when I'm when I'm with a group of leaders like who are who are in the middle of this problem um, that I try to do is I try to get them to reconnect with their own personal sense of purpose now that takes some work because um, we don't think about it every day typically. Um, and neither do organizations. It's not sort of this natural thing that just automatically kind of, you know, you know flows in all the time. Um, but I, I often spend time with them asking them, you know, what really gets you out of bed in the morning? Mm-hmm. Why do you mm-hmm. bother? What are you really connected to? What's fascinating to me is uh, I spent a lot of time with pharmaceutical executives, and, and this has changed a great deal in the last 10 years, but in the early part of my time with pharmaceutical companies i was shocked and, and this got me interested in the topic of purpose i was kind of shocked by how little they talked about patients and you know literally saving lives um and th- instead they talked more about science and medicine that has shifted a great deal thank thank thanks to thanks to the work that they've been doing on purpose uh but um it's interesting. When you when you talk to them at that time, you said, what are you really excited by? Eventually, they'd get to this idea that they were actually helping patients. But I didn't hear that in the dialogue around the company. So it wasn't shared. It was kind of individual and sort of, well, this is why I get out of bed. So I think what we're trying to do with leaders is we're trying to get them to reconnect with this very innately human side to themselves. That they have, which is this need for meaning and this clarity that they have for meaning. It's kind of already there. Our job is to help bring it out and systematize it so that they're able to have meaning-making conversations in the organizations that they're leading. And that's a kind of a new muscle. Um, And we often call it excavating purpose because it's sort of there, but it needs to be brought out in a more sort of concerted, explicit, and sort of um shapeable way for the organization.
0: Yeah, and and you know there's a couple of things that I find fascinating especially now it, you it, uh, at least me I went I'm interested to hear what you think as well you've said you've been doing this for some time right and and it was sort of the trigger of your comment about that's what got you interested in purpose as a leadership attribute yeah. that more and more I hear you know I I get the you know wonderful pleasure of working for a company like Salesforce where purpose is sort of one of our core tenants, uh, you know, doing well by yep. doing good is sort of lots of things we we stand for. But not everybody works in organizations yep. like that. But I would say that um, more than ever, I'm starting to notice just the conversation be much more purpose oriented from the C-suite, you know, right. and whether it's even advertising and marketing, the commercials, the print ads, articles, you know, the position companies are taking. Why, why do you think that is?
1: You know, it's, it's a really interesting question. I mean, part of it is because purpose is becoming kind of the next thing. It's sort of the thing we've we've not paid attention to in a, in a while. And so, you know, the the cynical side of me says, you know, management science kind of follows those trends and tries to dig into them. But I actually think that part of the reason is precisely because we're facing so much uncertainty and that purpose does bring us to a higher place. I think that's part of it. The other part of it is I think the, the onset of millennials occupying a bigger part of the um, the conversation, being a bigger cohort than previous cohorts like mine, Gen X, which was relatively small. You know, you have a, a a large number of people who've come into the workforce who are actually asking these questions. And I think people are are managers, that is older managers, older leaders, are trying to scramble to say, yeah, this is really good. We we sort of need an answer to this. Um, I think that's the second one. I also think that there is a bigger conversation going on in society that is about sort of um, a more humanistic kind of look at what role businesses play in society. And that's because they've become so big and transnational that we're starting to realize that they're kind of the dominant institution in the world. And that's not necessarily something we uh, set out to do. It just sort of has happened. And we maybe need to check that with humanity as a counterbalance to that kind of corporate power. So there's lots of things going on that are making this very topical. What what is interesting about your question is, and what I worry about is, where is it authentic and where is it not? And I think we're really running into a world where we're seeing some companies do this extremely authentically and others not doing it authentically. The problem with not doing it authentically is that it actually puts you further in the hole. In terms of your perception to the outside world and to potential employees in the war for talent, and you know this is particularly important in places like Silicon Valley, where on the one hand you're not going to win with talent in Silicon Valley if you're not able to be able to explain very clearly what purpose you serve in society as as an institution, not just as a business, right? And but if you don't do it authentically, and you sort of let it leak out that really you're just saying this to attract talent, and in fact, all you really care about is flipping the company and becoming a multimillionaire or a billionaire, you know, that's going to get found out. We're going to, you know, we know that that doesn't work, and we have some interesting preliminary data that that's actually starting to become something that employees are uh, kind of sensitized to. They're afraid that just saying that you have a purpose might be kind of a Gimmick. And I think that's a healthy sense of skepticism, actually.
0: Yeah, and I think it leans into the soft stuff, which I think uh, in knowing what I know about you know being a leader myself and past lives, right, as well as talking to um, hundreds of customers today and, and organizations, I'd right. say that uh, when there's no metric clearly defined by which uh, companies can measure their people on, so purpose is sort of some of that soft stuff and those, yep. you know, center managers in the middle that have to actually, you know, get everyone to sort of feel this higher purpose and, you know, what is the meaning and what what's, you know, what's the end goal and kind of what is our strategy, yep. right? And, and how does your role play to that ex- execution of that strategy and what is your role right. and what's the value of it and all of those things? Uh, I think the soft stuff makes people either one feel it's just not authentic, as you said, right? It's it's yes. fluffy, there's no real wood behind that arrow, if you will. Uh, and they don't see it as a profit engine. And I think there's a lot to be said now for diversity of teams and and I'm going to you know use yep. someone who you know well Lisa Bodell who's also been on this podcast uh was about Absolutely. just we really dug into kind of thinking styles as being diverse you know and and Dr. Yes. Ming as well around you know very much the introverts who love the data like how do you get them to pull them into the conversation because they have different views as well uh but That's it's right. that soft stuff that I think leaders today have to as part of this, learn how to contribute. To how do we make sure people feel like that is just as important as the measurable things?
1: Right. Exactly. Well, you know, there's a couple things there. One of my my uh, clients who was the CEO of of a uh, large pharmaceutical company said, you know, and and this this guy was a um, Essentially, a finance person, so loved data, loved loved um, numbers, and he said, "So there's the there's the hard stuff that we can talk about as leaders." And then he said, "And then there's the really hard stuff, <laughs> right?" So instead of saying the soft stuff, he called it the really hard stuff, and that kind of stuck with me. Um, I, I I think you're right. I think we've got to we've got to we've got to understand as managers and as leaders, the role that the quote unquote soft stuff plays in helping us to deliver the hard stuff. I also think though, that we can hold ourselves to a higher standard in terms of what we can measure around the soft stuff and try to make sure that this stuff isn't fluffy. And so right. a couple things, one is you can actually measure engagement pretty well in organizations. There's a lot of pretty good metrics out there. And engagement is often, we know, driven by things like purpose, clarity of strategy, um, the, the degree to which leaders sort of lean into the conversations with their people around context, all of which we normally would say is the soft stuff. But we also know that engagement uh, also brings with it discretionary effort right? So the more we've create, we've created an energized organization, the more we're going to actually get out of that organization. And the reason that's so much more important now is because we, the model of humans doing these black box kinds of linear things that could basically be done by machines is going away. And we're using leaders for much more complex adaptive problem solving. And if we're having to do that, then we need to fully engage them as humans. And so that's kind of the hard edge to the soft stuff from my perspective and from what we're learning. The other thing I think is really interesting about about purpose and and sort of making sure this isn't fluffy is, and one of my financial services clients, a bank actually, um, is working really hard to make sure that they're creating explicit decisions that are driven by purpose. So they've taken something that is fairly seemingly abstract at first glance and people can nod to it and say, yeah, that sounds like a really good purpose. And I, I'm mildly energized by it. And then they say, and we're going to make this decision because of purpose. And that purpose, that decision is tough. We know now that it's what's, what was soft has just become hard. It's just become an explicit kind of non-fluffy sort of thing. And this, this client in question decided, you know, we're not going to bank. They decided their purpose is really about communities It was kind of the fundamental idea about this bank. And they said, so we're not going to bank gaming industry. That's how they interpreted it. That's tough. They've got a whole team of people who supported the gaming industry. Now they're saying, no, we're going to kind of get out of that business. So um, when you actually roll in this idea of sacrifice, that that you're going to have to make some trade-offs as a result of staking out this kind of, um purpose or this kind of dis, you know this this idea that we're rallying around the minute you say that you really have to back it up with hard decisions and then you're in a world where the soft stuff has now become really hard stuff and i think that's what's what what we as leaders are going to be challenged by going forward so two things one is the soft stuff is more important than it ever was because of the nature of the problems we're solving and secondly we actually do have an obligation to make it as concrete as possible
0: well, so I'm gonna try and wrap up all this really great information because there's almost too much for me to wrap up. But I want to, but I want to tie back to our first human on Mars being a woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 one of her, uh, you know, really sort of thoughts is around this curiosity and learning are innately human and purposeful.
1: Yeah, right. It's yeah. sort of one of
0: the things that that she is known for saying. Um, that's right and, and and I'm a firm believer in being a student of your profession whatever your quote-unquote profession is which I think continuing education is important some people do it um, you know in a formal way like going to to do corporate education or they do it in an informal way where they'll take a you know webinar class or they'll listen to a webinar yeah. or read a book or something like that and so, you know, with that said, you know, this whole kind of learning conversation, you know, hopefully these podcasts are are really helpful for for my tribe that that listens in, uh, yeah. you know, but I but I would say, you know, outside of saying come to Duke, right? But the importance right. of constantly being an executive or a leader or someone who aspires to move up or just to be better, just this con- con- continual learning is really important to me. What do you think? Um, people misunderstand about continuing
1: learning. Well, I think uh, I think you've really hit on it right there. That the continual the the thing that people often mistake is that continual learning is somehow going to fill a gap of knowledge that is that is will solve our problems. Knowledge gaps are really only a small part of what I think really good executive education should be doing. We should be helping to rewire their thinking, not just. Fill them up with new tools and knowledge, uh, and that rewiring is about new habits that cause us to be more curious and ask questions differently if 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 I can get leaders to become better at asking questions than giving answers, I feel like we've been successful in helping them prepare for what's next. Uh, that's all to this issue of becoming better at learning and better at leaning into the unknown, which is not a, an easy thing to do. Our brains are not wired for that. So building habits that help us to do that more easily, um, like the astronaut to Mars is actually saying, this this innately human curiosity is what we really want to unleash. Unfortunately, much of our education system has pushed that out of us by the time we get into uh, leadership roles. And we're trying to reactivate that. I think, And I think that that is key, going to be key for future learners and what i would say to people who are thinking about executive education is they should hold their providers to that standard of don't just teach me stuff i don't know that may be helpful but that only takes you so far you also have to teach me how to grapple with learning about things that i don't know and that's that's a bigger a bigger task which is the really hard stuff that's right that's the really hard (laughs) stuff and that's what we think is what's next yeah, and,
0: and I would tell you that I'm a I'm a visual listen learner, not a read learner, which is why I never went on for my MBA. But I went on to continuing education and thinking, well, you know, I'll I'll do this. I'm sort of in the middle of my career, you know, and that kind of yes, I was in a leadership position, but for yep. all intent and purposes, I was kind of a center manager at that point. Yeah. Uh, then I went back saying, you know, let me just maybe I'm just older and I wasn't in the mood when I was 21 to keep going yep. on. Uh, and then you know I did the eight week course and. Uh, Realized, nope, still not for me.
1: (laughs) Right, so it's 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 unfortunate. You know, I think I think that's one of the things we, you know, we were spun out of the business school 18 years ago as a separate organization so that we could have the flexibility to reinvent education because I think that's what's needed. We're not, there's not enough of us, not enough of us providers out there who are doing this kind of thing where we're trying to help people rewire, not just sit in a classroom and learn stuff. We often say that not only. If you you know if you come to if you come to do corporate education, we're not going to just touch on skills, but also mindsets and behaviors and shifting those. You're not gonna. Um, it's not just gonna be not so much classroom stuff. It, you're gonna actually be nostalgic for the classroom if you if you come to us. So I but I but I think everyone needs to be on this road, not just Duke. I think we all have to be reshaping it because once you've left sort of formal education and you're in the mix of grappling with real world problems you need an accelerant accelerator of your education that is much more about you know being able to pivot learn be curious and deal with complexity in a way and and that takes a lot of mindset shifts that takes practice and it takes really interesting experiences that are sort of all encompassing and so the whole the whole idea that professors teach you stuff is being replaced by we should be designing experiences in which you are grappling with really complex problems and being given some tools that you can practice with so that you, that rewiring actually happens.
0: Well, this has been fantastic, Michael. I hope that you uh, had as great of a time as I did talking about these uh, really complex issues that I think everybody faces, but I love the hard stuff and the really hard stuff is a great way to frame this up. So it's been a pleasure having you on the What's Next podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did.
1: Absolutely, Tiffany. Thanks for having me on. And and I'd invite any of your listeners to connect with me on LinkedIn, Michael Chavez at Duke E. And also a lot of what we've been talking about is 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 dialogue around um, the stuff that I've written about in, in our magazine dialogue. So I'd invite people to subscribe for free which you can get at from dukesy.com.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Michael, so much. And uh, it was just a pleasure.
1: Thanks so much, Tiffany.
0: What a great conversation with Michael Chavez. Such a pleasure to have him on the What's Next podcast to talk about leadership. I loved how he started to frame up what a leader needs to think about when it comes to learning. They have to be really good at learning on the fly. They have to be agile. But more importantly, they have to be willing to learn. So as leaders, we always want to be a student of what it is that we do, but we want to also make sure we have a purpose and a purpose for what we do every day. And we know what we're doing has meaning. I think my favorite quote out of the entire time we spent together on that recording on this podcast was leaders are essentially makers of meaning. So every day we show up making meaning for the people we work with, for our customers and for our greater ecosystem and shareholders is just so important because I think that we focus too much on the hard stuff and we don't focus enough on the really hard stuff, which is the soft skills. And those are the things that have the greatest impact today. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Michael. Please subscribe to the What's Next podcast. Tell your friends, leave a little uh, comment about what you thought about listening to this. And I'll look forward to hearing from you soon as well. I look forward to you joining me next time. Thank you and have a great day.